0: Please turn in your Bibles to the sixth chapter of Second Chronicles. Our study tonight will be verses 12 to 20. Second Chronicles chapter six. Beginning with verse 12, listen now to God's holy, inerrant and life-giving word. The Chronicler writes, Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands. Solomon had made a bronze platform five cubits long, five cubits wide, and three cubits high and had set it in the court and he stood on it. Then he knelt on his knees in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven and said, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart, who have kept with your servant David, my father, what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand you have fulfilled it this day. Now therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, what you have promised him, saying, you shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel, if only your sons pay close attention to their way to walk in my law as you have walked before me. Now therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, let your word be confirmed which you have spoken to your servant David. But will God indeed dwell with man on the earth? Behold, heaven and highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you, that your eyes may be open day and night towards this house, the place where you have promised to set your name, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place." The grass withers, the flowers fall, and the word of our God abides forever. Amen. Father in heaven, what a joy it is to look back through the lens of scripture at great events from long ago, and yet it is our own history, Lord. You are the same God. It is by the same grace that we pray and know that we are heard. Bless us now as we study this passage that we might learn to pray and indeed have confidence because of your son that when we pray, you listen from heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. In September 1774, the Continental Congress of the 13 American colonies met at Carpenter's Hall in Philadelphia for their first session. The first official act of the Continental Congress was to invoke the blessing of Almighty God through prayer. Dr. Jacob Duches pleaded with God on behalf of the Congress, O Lord, our Heavenly Father, High and mighty King of Kings, Lord of Lords, who dost from thy throne behold all the dwellers upon the earth, and reignest with power supreme and uncontrolled over all kingdoms, empires, and governments, look down in mercy; we beseech thee upon these American states, who have fled to thee from the rod of the oppressor and thrown themselves upon thy gracious protection, desiring henceforth to be dependent only upon thee a later description of that event recounts george washington kneeling during the prayer the puritan representatives from new england bowing reverently and even john adams commenting it was enough to melt a heart of stone and in this way the representatives of the 13 disparate colonies gathering during a time of great danger discovered their unity in a shared reliance on the sovereign god well, the dedication of Solomon's temple in Jerusalem was a more important event than the start of the Continental Congress, and it provides a template for all those who desire to dedicate their cause to the Lord. Now, this important passage reveals to us how it was that Solomon prayed, how he prayed, and also what he prayed for. Most importantly, it reveals the God to whom he prayed with such confidence that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place, verse 20. Well, the prayers of the Bible are models for believers today as we approach the same God in prayer. And as we watch Israel's King Solomon praying at this momentous event, the dedication of the temple, we should be learning how we can pray as well. Solomon built the temple as a place for Israel to pray as well as to set a pattern of devotion for their years to come. Well, the first thing we are shown about Solomon's prayer is that he prayed reverently. How does Solomon pray? Solomon prayed reverently. He he knew that he spoke to the great and majestic God. And therefore we read in verses 12 and 13 that Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and he spread out his hands. And then, verse 13, he knelt on his knees in the presence of the all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. Now in ancient times, men and women would approach a king on their knees, acknowledge his sovereign right over their lives. Well, great as he was among men, Solomon knew that the God of heaven exercised that very sovereignty over himself and his nation. And the Bible shows a variety of postures by which we may pray. There's not a single physical posture that's prescribed. Sometimes we see people standing, like in Nehemiah 9, verse 2. Sometimes kneeling, Psalm 95, verse 6, Ephesians three thirteen. Often we see them with their hands lifted up to heaven, Psalm 28, 2, and 1 Timothy 2, 8. Interestingly, Solomon exhibits all these postures. First he stands before the people as he presents themselves as their spokesman to the Lord and then he kneels in the presence of the divine king. Now more important than the physical posture of our body is the reverent attitude of our heart. Psalm 95 6 says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker." And Jesus emphasized that this is to be the attitude of our hearts when he taught us how to pray, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. To hallow God's name is to regard it as holy, to regard him as holy. And to pray in this reverent spirit is to acknowledge that he is worthy of our most humble praise. Well, Solomon's approach to God shows further that he prayed expectantly. He played reverently but expectantly he spread out his hands toward heaven showing that he anticipated blessings that God would send in answer to his prayer. He was in a posture to receive them. And I think it's interesting, he wasn't merely praying so the people would hear him. He wasn't praying for the scribes to write down what he wrote and to pass it to posterity. No, he prayed to God. He prayed to a God whose grace he had experienced. He was looking in faith that God would actually answer his prayer. How important it is that we pray to God, believing that he will answer what we pray. We should be willing as well to receive not only the answers but the kind of answers that he will offer. Matthew Henry observes that Solomon spread forth his hands as it were to offer up the prayer from an enlarged heart and to present it from heaven and also to receive thence with both arms that mercy for which he prayed. Solomon's prayer furthermore was a corporate prayer. He's standing before the altar of the Lord in the presence of the assembly of Israel. He is leading the nation in supplication to God. Now, of course, we are to pray privately, but we are also commanded to pray corporately together. Look at verse 13. He made a bronze platform, five cubits long, five cubits wide, three cubits high. Each cubit is about 18 inches he said it in the court and he stood on it and he did this so that people could see him that's why we have a pulpit by the way in churches so that the the person ministering can be heard can be seen and as he prayed this way he was anticipating the congregational prayers that we offer to god together one of the sad things about evangelical worship is the congregational prayer is disappearing because people find it boring it's too long it's too difficult I've occasionally had someone say to me I was a little shocked that we, 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 we had that long prayer in the middle of the service and I have to restrain my sarcasm I, I've said before uh, what, what a shocking thing the people of God are gathered together before the Lord and they, and they prayed for eight nine minutes what an amazing thing that is but it shows how far we are from the historic practice going all the way back to Solomon and he prayed on behalf of the people. They were praying with him in their hearts. That's what we should do. We should be challenging ourselves during the congregational prayer that we're paying attention and we're offering to God with the minister, the prayer that is sent up. And notice as well that his concerns were communal in nature. He is praying for Israel just as we are called, even when we're praying alone, we are to be calling for the corporate concerns of the church. Now here he's praying particularly for the future leadership of the nation. We should do the same thing for the church. Oh, Lord, raise up preachers. We should be praying for our pastors, our elders, our deacons, other Christian leaders. He prays in verse 21, listen to the pleas of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. He was praying for the ministry of the temple in the midst of the people. Andrew Stewart comments, the ministry of leading congregational prayer is a very important one among God's people. For by this means the thought of many individuals are brought together like the various threads that make up a tapestry. The petitions of many believers are bound together like many hands knocking on heaven's door. Well, Those are valuable things for us to note about Solomon's prayer. He was reverent, he was expectant, it was a corporate prayer. But the single most important thing for us to notice about how Solomon prayed is that he prayed through a mediator. He is praying through a mediator. And it's to this end that the chronicler gives the detail that he located his prayer platform, verse 12, before the altar of the Lord. Now the temple was built as a place for the people to pray, but the bronze altar was placed outside the temple so that their prayers would be received. The temple was for prayer, but it was the sacrifices That secured God's receipt of their prayers. Now Solomon was not a priest. So he was careful that he did not offer the sacrifices himself. There was a division between the kings and the priests. And he stayed in his lane. He let the priests offer the sacrifices. But once the sacrifice had been offered. He located himself before the place of sacrifice in order to pray. One commentator writes his work of intercession followed their work of mediation. Now it's important to realize that the sacrifices offered there did not earn or merit the grace of God for Solomon and Israel. Rather we should think of the sacrifices as not something God received from them but something God gave to them. That's why you'll often see in the Old Testament when the people desire of you. He doesn't mean he's against them. He means that it's not a work. It's actually something that he has given to the people. Why? To picture in advance the true atoning sacrifice which God also would provide. Solomon was a sinner. The only way that he could pray to the holy God and be received before that throne was if he had a mediator who could atone for his sins. And that's what the altar signified. Now we, l- we pray like Solomon when we look back upon the Savior to whom he was looking forward jesus christ the son of god the lamb of god who takes away our sins christians approach god through the blood of christ when we conclude our prayers in jesus name that's not just a tagline that's saying lord we are praying in the mediation of the lamb of god your son jesus christ we are trusting his atoning blood for access to your throne in prayer and see, this raises an important question. It's, it's one we often think of, and the question is this, what makes prayer work? I, really want, I want my prayers to work. I've got things I'm praying about. I really need God to help me. What can make my prayers work? And, and many people think it's, it's the sheer fervor that we put into it. I'm not against fervent prayer, but fervor in prayer is not what makes it work. Often the idea is that you've got to get the words right. have got to have the right formula, the right combinations. You've got to say it right, and then your prayers will work. None of those things are what makes prayer work. What makes prayer work? What makes prayer work is the atoning blood of Jesus Christ, the mediation of the Son of God who died for our sins as our Savior and who is at the right hand of the Father. The German reformer Johann Gerhard put it this way, If our prayers depend on our worth, they are damned, even if the heart were to sweat out blood and devotion. No one pleases God except Christ. Therefore, no one prays rightly except through Christ and according to Christ. Solomon prayed through a mediator. Well, if how Solomon prayed is very important for us, and I think it is, what he prayed for is also very noteworthy. Solomon's dedicatory prayer here is a model for us primarily in that his chief request in this prayer is for God himself to be glorified and then secondly he prays for God's word to be fulfilled. Now there are times when our prayers are all requests. We're in a car accident or we have some other source of fear or distress and we just cry out to to the Lord. He invites us to do so. We should not fail to do that. But particularly our regular praying, certainly our corporate praying as a church, should begin with and in fact should largely consist of adoration to God as we come before his throne in prayers of praise. You should challenge yourself because it's right, because it's biblical that when we pray we will worship him. We will adore him. We will praise him. A.W. Tozer writes, God wants worshipers before workers. Indeed, the only acceptable work- workers are those who have learned to worship. Well, Solomon was a worshiper. And so listen to how his prayer begins in verse 14. "O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. Verses 14 and 15. Now a good way to prepare to pray is to think about God's attributes. And often there'll be something in the situation you're facing. This is what Solomon's doing here. The the very situation is going to suggest certain attributes of God for which he is, uh, is to be praised. We might adore God for his goodness, for his faithfulness, for his power, for his sovereignty, for his justice, for his love. A good example for praying is actually given in the Anglican book of prayer, particularly in those short prayers known as collects. Now a collect is a prayer of invocation and every one of them begins with praise for God's character as he has revealed that character in his works. For instance, the collect for Easter Sunday speaks of God's resurrection gift. Almighty God, whom to know is eternal life. The collect for purity begins... Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires are known, and from you no secrets are hid. Now you see what's going on there is the adoration is linked to the supplication that's going to follow. That is a very good practice, and you'll see it followed in so many biblical prayers. Michael Wilcock writes, Faith in who and what he is, however elementary our understanding is, must precede the asking of anything here with praise prayer begins now another way to adore God in prayer is to praise him for the excellence of his son I recently attended the graduation exercises about a year ago actually for the seminary where I serve as a trustee and the prayer for the graduation was offered by a very elderly man who had recently retired from the trustees. I'd gotten to know him very well. He was a long-standing ruling elder. And I remember him slowly making his way to the pulpit. He could not move very fast. And as he began praying, it was with a deliberate passion. It's a graduation prayer for men going into ministry, men and women serving in a variety of capacity. And what was interesting to me was the bulk of his prayer consisted of adoration of God because of his son the Lord Jesus Christ And he thanked God and praised him for his son who took off his glory and came down in humility to earth, who lived among us as the way, the truth, and the life, who out of such infinite love for his people took up the cross, embracing its suffering and shame, only then to rise from the grave and then to sit down at God's right hand in heaven where even now he reigns as head over all things for the church until that wonderful day to come when he returns in glory." This seasoned spiritual father clearly understood that one of the best ways to praise the father is to adore the glories of his son. Well, Solomon's prayer begins with praise for the incomparability of God. That's what he prays about at first. O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth. Verse 14. Now, he likely chose this theme to note the difference between this temple and all the other temples that proliferated the cities of the ancient world. Solomon's temple uniquely honored the true and living God. Israel did not worship a local God or a tribal God the way that most nations did. No, Israel worshiped the one God who reigns over all the earth. And he says that the Lord alone is worthy of our trust on the earth. Now that's true. If we look around the earth, it is only the God of the Bible who truly meets the needs of his people and who satisfies the human heart. And Solomon says no other God in heaven above is like this God. See, see, this God reigns in eternity. He commands the worship of angels. While the other so-called gods are actually the inventions of men, This God is holy and majestic in all the heavenly realms. And yet at the same time, the Lord is incomparable for being so near to his people. He is high above, but he also enters into a personal relationship and a covenant bond with those who call upon him, even providing atonement through the blood of his Son in the words of the prophet Micah who is a god like you pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of your inheritance Micah 7:18 Solomon praises the incomparable god But he doesn't stop there. He further praises God for the faithfulness that resulted in this temple he was dedicating actually being built. Verses 14 and 15, God keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart, who have kept with your servant David my father what you declared to him. You promised it. You have done it. We praise you because you're faithful. Faithful. Now, when Solomon says God had kept covenant, he means that the Lord had kept his solemn, sealed, oath-bound promises to the people. By showing steadfast love, the Lord had been gracious to his sinful people. He had granted them far more than they would ever deserve. Uh, Indeed, how rare is the faithfulness that God has shown to his word. How precious is the kindness of this sovereign God. No wonder Solomon wanted to praise him for his loving faithfulness. Matthew Henry writes that he is and will be true to every word that he has ever spoken and all that serve him in sincerity will certainly find him both faithful and kind. Now Solomon specifically notes that God had kept with his servant David my father what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand you have fulfilled it this day. Now this is a favorite expression of psalm we've already heard it twice. You spoke it with your mouth you fulfilled it with your hand. God had made incomparable promises to David. One of them was that he would have a son who would build a house for my name. Second Samuel seven thirteen. What other God could make such a promise? And as Solomon now dedicates the table, he celebrates that his own life, his own labor has been God's fulfillment of the promise he gave to his father. God had said, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. Well, Christians have an even better vantage point that supplies us with reasons to praise the Lord for his faithfulness. We can see that through David and Solomon, God was doing more than building the temple. He was actually preparing for his own son to be born in the world through the line of David. And then by dying on the cross for our sins, Jesus purchased us as a people for God so that we can speak to God the way that Solomon did. He uses the old covenant name, Yahweh, O Yahweh, God of Israel, verse 14. But we approach God's throne calling him our father because Jesus has made us his children through faith. What incomparable faithfulness. What unfailing love. Isn't it true that we often forget when we pray to thank God for the many things he has fulfilled, his promises he's given to us? Andrew Stewart notes how all around him, everything Solomon saw around him that day, the royal robes he wore, the palace in which he lived, the temple in which he was worshiping, the priests and the sacrifices, the people willingly assembled, all this was a reminder that God keeps his promises. Well, don't you too have evidence and proofs that God is faithful to you don't you see it in your livelihood your family and other godly relationships the ministry of your church a thousand other ways god has shown his love to you don't forget to thank him when you pray you see it will enliven your prayer people say i don't know what to talk about when i pray to god i appreciate the honesty but here's the answer We have a thousand and one things to pray simply in praising him for the God that he is, praising him for his son, and showing thankfulness for the blessings he has done in fulfillment of his word. Well, Solomon has adored the incomparable and faithful God with thanksgiving. If we say, what did he pray for? The first thing he prayed for was for God to be praised. But he continues making requests. Christians can pray to God for all kinds of things that we need. But Solomon shows us that we ought to particularly pray for God's word to be fulfilled this is what he goes on and does he prays he he praises god for his incomparability for his faithfulness and now here's his request lord your word let it be fulfilled verse 16 now therefore o lord lord god of israel keep for your servant david my father what you have promised him saying you shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of israel Now Solomon is praying for God to fulfill the promise that the line of David would not fail. The Lord had spoken to David, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And not only were were these things the desires of Solomon's heart, these, these were the needs that he was feeling. He was concerned about this. This is what he wanted God to do. But you see, those prayers were made stronger because God had promised to do them. And he prays for the things he thinks the people need in light of the fact that God has promised to do them. Now we too should be praying for God's word to be fulfilled. For instance, Jesus said it is written not only that he would die on the cross, but that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Luke 24, 46 and 47. Now there is a warrant for you and me to pray for world missions. Lord, this is what you've said. You said this it, it, This has been written, that the gospel will go to the ends of the nation. Oh, Lord, let that word be fulfilled. We should be praying for the Bible to be fulfilled. We should pray for the work of the Holy Spirit in our own lives, that there would be holiness and spiritual fruitfulness. Why? Because God's word has said this. Jesus said you will, be, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And so the Christian can and should say, Lord, you have said in your word that through faith in you, I have the Holy Spirit working in my life. Let that word be filled with spiritual power in me. Parents who are raising children should pray the proverb, train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Those are good words to form the prayers of moms and dads. Christians who are sick should pray that God's word in Psalm 34 would be found true. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. You see, Christians pray with confidence when we ask God to give us the things that God has promised. Sinclair Ferguson writes, the basis of all prayer is what God has promised to do. The secret of prayer is that we should ask in accordance with God's will. The prayer of faith asks in unwavering trust for what God has already promised to do. Faith is not a matter of looking within ourselves to see how much we feel capable of requesting what faith does is search the scriptures to see what God has promised to do now for instance then when we pray to God needing to confess our sins we remember his promise and we may pray knowing that he has granted it think of 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. When you pray to God, oh, Lord, forgive this sin, you know that he has granted it because it's in accordance with his will and promise. When we call out to God in anxiety, we should pray the promise of Philippians 4, 6, the peace of God which which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. When we pray in the hour of temptation, God has promised to provide a door of escape. 1 Corinthians 10.13, yes, when we draw near to the valley of death, Christians may and should pray to Christ those beloved words of Psalm 23, I will fear no evil for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. God is faithful to his promises and so we may join in Solomon's petition of verse 17. Now therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, let your word be confirmed. Let your word be confirmed which you've spoken to your servant David. Now the best way to thank God and to appeal to him for his word is then to walk before him according to that word in an obedient faith. And notice how Saul notes that God keeps covenant, look verse 14, he keeps covenant and he shows steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all your heart. And likewise, God had promised that David's house would endure, verse 16, if only your sons pay close attention to their way to walk in my law as you have walked before me. Now, this is not to say that God keeps his promises because we walk in faithfulness or if we walk in faithfulness. Rather, Solomon is noting that the manner in which God answers our prayers is through a faithful and obedient life. When Solomon's descendants would turn away from God's way, they would be judged. And yet the promise was still going to come true. Jesus still came. The house of David continued to endure in God's son. The point is that those who pray for God's word to be fulfilled must seek themselves to fulfill scripture by the power that God gives. Those who pray for God to fulfill his promises must remember one of the things he has promised is to chastise us when we stray into the ways of sin. Hebrews 12. Well, the accounts that are going to follow in 2nd Chronicles, we've got an opening section on Solomon, and then we begin the, the church history tour in the line of David. We're going to see his descendants, and we're going to see that this idea is true, that those who pray ought to live and must live a life of obedient faith. And when Israel's kings turned to idols, God was faithful to his warnings, ultimately by destroying this temple that Solomon was dedicating and sending his people into exile and yet yet let's never forget as we study second chronicles who where when it was that the chronicler was writing this account he's writing after the exile he's writing as part of the restoration community god had restored his grace to the people who had repented matthew henry writes those that set god always before them and who walk before him in all their hearts they will find him as good as his word even better He will both keep covenant with them, and he will show to them his mercy. Well, Solomon's prayer is going to continue much further than this passage. There's a long petition. Lord willing, we'll study it next. A long petition for the chief matter of forgiveness. When the people stray, forgive them. That's going to start at verse 21. But before Solomon turns to that vital matter of forgiveness... He brings up an even more fundamental question about the whole matter of prayer. We've seen how Solomon prayed. He prayed reverently, expectantly, corporately, through a mediator. We've seen what he prayed. He prayed for God's glory. He prayed for his word to be fulfilled according to his promises. But here's the question of why did Solomon pray. Because here's the question. Is God really going to answer our prayers how is, it that the, how is it that prayer would be answered? Here he is, the great God of heaven. Would he really stoop down to the earth to hear our prayers? Well, that's the vital question that Solomon asks as he kneels before the temple. Why will the incomparable God listen from heaven when he prays? Look at verse 18. But will God indeed dwell with man on earth? Well, there's no earthly reason why God would and he continues, behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built, verse 18. Now see, Solomon's putting his temple into perspective. Now, you and I think it's impressive, but it really is not all that impressive <laughs> before God. It wasn't that big a building. I know it was great craftsmanship. It was inlaid with gold. But this is not impressive itself before God. Now, what's interesting is that despite raising that natural concern, Solomon remains bold as he prays. He remains asking God. He asks God to hear his prayers and the prayers of the people at the temple. He continues, yet, here's his plea, yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you, that your eyes may be opened day and night toward this house, the place where you have promised to set your name, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers towards this prayer. Isn't it interesting he, he gives the reason why we wouldn't expect God to answer prayer he says almighty God sovereign we have this little temple he's really not in it and yet he says I'm still going to pray and I'm going to pray expectantly how is he going to do that well the key is found in these words the place where you have promised to set your name you see it was God who had ordained that Solomon would build the temple why so that the prayers of this people gathered in this place through faith by their lives and by the history that would then lead through Jesus Christ to the church today and by those means God would glorify his character in human history do you ever wonder why you even bother to pray does it occur to you that God must have bigger things on his mind more important things to deal with than your puny little problems and your insufficient prayer well, if you do take Solomon's temple as a pledge to you that God will hear the prayers that are offered to him in faith, if you pray to him as the God who speaks in the Bible, if you believe what he's revealed about himself in Scripture, if you trust his promise, God personally invites you to pray and he promises you that you will be heard. Jeremiah 33.3, 3, call to me and I will answer you. Well, an even greater pledge than the temple that God will hear your prayer is given by the coming of his son, the Lord Jesus. When Isaiah prophesied Jesus' virgin birth, he said, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And if you believe in Jesus and you believe his promise, he gives you this word, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, in order that the Father may be glorified in the Son. What a pledge you have in the person and work of Jesus, received through simple faith, that God will hear your prayers, that he might be glorified in his Son. And the New Testament tells you that if you belong to Jesus Christ through faith, not only will your prayers be heard, but Jesus himself is praying for you at the right hand of the Father, Romans 8.34 could we possibly have better reasons to pray, more sure answers to our doubts regarding whether prayer really matters or not? If we will pray like Solomon, reverently, expectantly, corporately, through the mediator he has sent, we can be sure that God's eyes are looking upon us with this steadfast love, the the covenant love that he gives to his people. We can be sure that his ears are open to our pleas, and we can pray then with confidence the words of Solomon. We do so standing not before that ancient altar. We stand at the foot of the cross and we say with Solomon of old, listen to the pleas of your servant and of your people when they pray toward you from this place. Father in heaven, thank you for the way you've worked in history. And these little pictures of of where you were and what you were doing at different times in redemptive history. And Lord, as Solomon stands on that platform before the altar, Lord, we do see ourselves at the foot of the cross. And there, Lord, we can know that we have your blessing. We can know that you hear our prayers. We know that the eyes that look upon us are not filled with wrath or indifference, but with love and covenant faithfulness that you would be glorified in us through your son. And so I pray, Father, that we would be motivated to pray, that we would worship you in prayer, that it would be an arena for us to feel and express thanksgiving to you and be lifted out of our troubles. And we pray, Lord, then as a church, the way that Solomon prayed. We call upon you in the name of your son. Oh, Father, when we do, would you listen from heaven? Would you hear us when we pray? We know that for Christ's sake you will. We pray in his name. Amen.